Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A gracious and most merciful Father, oh, how we love your word, that as we seek to be able to meditate on it day and night, that you would let it dwell within us richly that you would help us to be wise, not in the eyes of the world, but in your eyes as we seek to understand your wisdom. Lord, that we would have more understanding than all of our teachers as we seek to be able to understand your word, as we seek to meditate on it. Lord, that we would keep your word. Help us see Christ clearly as we seek to be able to glorify you through this reading of your word, we pray. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Please take heed how you hear. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one. He struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard it, He sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us, and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave him a son, And he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Last week we saw the providence of God in the hand of Moses' life, even from such a young age, three months. God protected him from the hand of Pharaoh by having him raised, actually, in the house of Pharaoh. And here Moses received the finest of education in the whole world. But yet we saw that Moses considered the reproach of Christ a greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. The Lord's hand was upon Moses as he was preparing him to be able to save his people. And now we see the second installment of how God, through providence, prepared Moses to be able to lead his people. 
just as Joseph was prepared in the house of Potiphar to handle seven years of plenty, and then he was, he was uh, prepared in the house of Potiphar in prison to be able to handle the seven years of famine and drought. And here we see the same providence of God preparing Moses for the task which lays ahead. We should never seek then to be able to understand the compl- how completely how God uses this providence to prepare us for what is coming. We do not know what stage of life we are in and how God is preparing us for what is in store. Both Moses and Joseph went through difficult times in their life. They went through times of blessings and fruitfulness into times of difficult uh, uh, situations. And what seemed to them that they had no idea what was next. It seemed maybe an endless period in their life. This was it. And here a period of 40 years had passed since Jochbed, Moses' mother, had placed this small child in this mini ark. 40 years of Pharaoh's taskmasters over God's people of oppression, requiring these Israelite slaves to be able to build Pharaoh's cities for him. And what we see in this passage is Moses goes out. He goes out to his people. We must stop here and consider this truth, that even after 40 years of being raised in the house of Pharaoh as an Egyptian, even you notice that uh, uh, the Midian priest's daughters call Moses an Egyptian. We'll see that later in the passage. But here... At the end of verse 11, and also at the end of verse 11 again, we see Moses, that as he records this later, he re- says that here we have a Hebrew, one of his people. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 explains it came into his heart to visit his brothers. We have no accounts of what happens in those 40 years before this day. Was this a common trip that Moses would go and have oversight to be able to make sure that God's people are being watched, that his brothers are not being harmed? Did he have some form of official duty which was assigned to him from his uh, adopted father? We do not know on this particular day that it came into his heart to be able to visit the children of Israel. And even before we get to Exodus 3 and 4, we see that Moses has a heart for God's people, which we'll see in these following verses. What we see first is Moses' exodus. Moses' exodus in verses 11 to 15. As Moses is walking through the sandy desert of Egypt, as he looks on the burdens placed upon the backs by his grandfather through adoption, this word in verse 11 it mentions that Moses looked. It's not merely that he, he had some form of observation, but it speaks more of something that is observed and understood. That there's, there's a connection merely just that you saw something happen, but there was a connection to the heart. 
Moses, as he looked out, he did not only see that the Israelites had burdens upon their backs, but you might say as he looked out, he, he, he felt the burden placed upon the brother, his brother's backs. And this even intensifies as he sees one Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And again, the emphasis is that it's not merely just any person. It's one of his people. This word beating is, again, not merely just some light tap on the wrist. This word is often and commonly translated as, as killing something or beating something to the point of death. And here Moses sees this, he, he observes this, but it merely is not merely that he, he just sees it with his eyes. There's something that in his heart is moved. He sees this oppression. He sees this burden. He sees this beating. Moses strikes that Egyptian down. He buries the body in the sand. Now, I've heard people say in the past, and I might have even said this in the past, that Moses was a murderer. However, I think when you look at this passage more closely, I believe that I'd be very cautious to be able to say that. Did Moses kill a man? Yes. It says he buried him. You don't bury someone who's living. However, there's a distinction, I think, that we see throughout the the Scriptures, a difference between murder and killing. We cannot do those biblical distinctions for now, but I think here you see this clearly in the original language. The word struck down in verse 12 is the exact same word used of the Egyptian in verse 11. Moses is is seeking to administer justice in this situation. It's called lex talonis, or retributive justice. The law in Exodus 21 puts it this way. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. The reason I'm cautious is is because of how you understand this passage. Moses is merely seeking to be able to uh, administer justice in this situation. But I think the reason I really am cautious is not because of this passage, but actually how Stephen explains it in Acts chapter 7. When he speaks of this event... As then recorded by Acts, by through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Stephen explains this, and he, say, and he says, Seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand Stephen gives us insight in three ways as as he retells his story in Exodus chapter 2. The first is this man has been wronged. He's been oppressed. Now we can focus on the the actions of Moses, but Stephen first begins not with the actions of Moses, but with the actions of this Egyptian man. The second is that Stephen explains that Moses avenged the oppressed man. The Moses doesn't seek to merely get revenge 
on this man, but avenges him. And there's a great difference when you're talking about justice. The view of vengeance speaks first of uh, that there's injustice done first. And then it's driven by justice to be able to find a correct outcome. But revenge is driven by emotion, often by someone who has been harmed by the injustice, and they seek to be able to retaliate and often overdo what has been done. But I think the third and most important thing that we see that Stephen points out in Acts chapter 7 about this situation in Exodus chapter 2 But he says that Moses thought that they would understand. They would understand one thing. That God was giving them salvation by his hand. And here we see Moses as a mediator between the oppressor and the oppressed. Moses thought he was saving the oppressed and not killing the innocent. Now, does that mean that we take Exodus 2 and say we need to take matters into our own hands? By no means. However, I think in a a different situation, maybe we would find ourselves in in a place where we saw someone harming a small child right in front of us, right in front of our very eyes. I do believe then I think it would be right for us to be able to step in the middle to be able to save that child from harm. And we don't have time to be able to apply that ethics to all all these situations. I think we see that Moses is indeed sinful. We see this clearly, whether it's in this passage or others to come. Maybe we can say that he's not a murderer, but that doesn't mean that he didn't sin. I think you see somewhat of Uh, a shame upon Moses as he seeks to be able to hide his actions, to be able to bury the man as he flees from Egypt because he's considered concerned that he might be put to death for his actions. We can debate about the implications, the morals of the situation, but in all of this, we need to see that behind all of this is God's providence at work. God preparing Moses, either through a heart, to be able to see justice to his people, For Moses is connecting to his people, but also preparing Moses to be able to lead his people. And what we see is Moses thinks he's the only one who saw what happened. Beside whose life, the person he saved. Now, if this was the end of the story, we might, would be living in a different hypothetical world. Maybe Moses wouldn't have fled, maybe Moses wouldn't have been called by the burning bush. But here we see the next day. Moses goes out again in the people. Just as he did the day before. But he doesn't see an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. He sees two Hebrews beating each other. They're fighting with one another. One is clearly in the wrong because the Bible says that he turned to the person in the wrong and he says, why do you strike your neighbor? Again, Stephen helps us understand this passage when he says that Moses sought to be able to reconcile them. Verse 26. Back to the point again above. The people did not understand that Moses was seeking to be able to save them. Now this is Stephen's main point in his sermon in that 
of those who of the men who falsely accused Stephen in, in the end of chapter six is that God's people have often rejected the men sent by God to be able to save God's people. Stephen says in verse thirty five, This Moses whom you they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. But notice in Acts chapter 2 that Moses doesn't respond to this man. Who made you ruler? Who, who sent you? We'll find out who sends him. But he thinks to himself. He's afraid of what Pharaoh might do. And we'll see this in, in coming chapters. But in Exodus 1 and 2, we see two midwives who feared God over Pharaoh. God blesses them. Jochbed and, and Miriam, women of faith who stand up for life, for Moses. Not afraid of Pharaoh, but here. Moses, the man that God is going to choose to be able to stand before Pharaoh, who is he afraid of? Pharaoh. We see God choose someone who is weak. We see God choose someone who is unwilling, as we'll see in the next couple of chapters. What does Moses do? He runs. But again, all in God's providence. Getting Moses ready. That's where we see the second part. Moses in the wilderness. In 16, this is 22. Moses flees the land of Egypt. He runs and finds himself at the well in Midian. Now this is why it's important for us to be able to understand and read genealogies. We come to a book and what? Well, where's the well in Midian? What? What significance does that have to us? It's a place, but also it's a name of a person. As you remember that uh, Abraham and Sarah, they have uh, Isaac. And then after Sarah dies, he, Abraham remarries to, uh, you might say, his third wife, Keturah. Now, Keturah has six children, and one of them is Midian. So here we have a direct descendant from Abraham. Now Abraham gives Isaac everything, but these other sons, he, he gives gifts, and he sends them away from Isaac that Isaac might be able to have all these possessions. So he sends them eastward from Isaac. Now this is why it's important for us to be able to understand history, because we see similarities between this story and the story that we read about in Genesis where here Jacob flees. He flees his brother because he's worried about what his brother will do. His brother wants him dead, Esau. And he comes to a well. And he then meets Laban's daughter, Rachel. And he waters her flock for her. Now Laban is a relative of Abraham through Nahor. Abraham's brother Nahor is uh, is, uh, descend one of the uh, grandfather's trunks on the um, of Laban's tree, and here Moses flees to avoid being killed, not by Esau but by Pharaoh. 
He comes to a well, he waters the flocks of a man's daughter, who is a descendant of Abraham. Now this does not mean they're merely identical, but what we see here is that Moses, again, is, uh, is what we see in this situation here, that passage of, of, of how Moses finds a wife. And what we see in this passage is Moses is again confronted with evil. Three times in this passage, Moses is confronted with evil. First the Egyptian, next the Hebrews fighting, and now the shepherds uh, harming or driving away these daughters. Now wells in this time are very important. They're very territorial. Read of accounts in Genesis of fights over wells. And shepherds would wander in the wilderness, but they would need to find water to be able to have their sheep not die of thirst. And here the daughters are seeking to be able to care for their sheep, but they're driven away by these shepherds. However, what we find now is Moses steps in. He mediates between these two people, these two groups. He saves the priest's daughters. Now, I have heard that some are arguing here in this situation that before, when Moses was confronted with evil, he reacted in murder. And here, you see the sanctification in Moses that he doesn't react in murder. He just drives the shepherds away. I think that we've laid out our case before looking at Acts chapter 7, but that's uh, somehow some people understand this. Now, this is a very important verse in the Bible. Where it says that in verse 17, the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered the flock. You say, why, why is that an important verse? It's an important verse because this is the first time in the Bible this word has been used, saved. It will be used of how God saves his people, how God redeems his people. But here, Moses is the one who saves these daughters. Moses here is the first savior that we see. A person who steps in to save a particular piece, person. Again, why do you say this is important? Well, mainly because it shows us that the Bible shows us shadows of Christ. Here we see Moses as a mediator and a savior. Pointing forward to how Christ is the one who is the one who is a mediator and a savior. Here Moses is the one who saves these daughters. But again, it would soon be said that God saves his people. As the story continues, we find out more about who God is and what he does. Now we know that this man is, uh, these daughters are the son of a priest. We have no idea who this man is. We're merely told that this man, the priest of Midian, had seven daughters, and these daughters were watering this well. As we continue studying through Exodus, we're going to learn more about him. At this point, we need to note that although he's a descendant of Abraham, he is not a true believer. Although he might have carried some of these uh, traditions, family history, heritage through, you might see that through his hospitality, welcoming others in. But at this point, we find out his name, Raul. Now, you might be again wondering, why is his name Raul? You might not be able to name everyone in the Bible, but if you thought that if you were asked the question, 
what is the name of Moses' father-in-law? Some of you might be able to get the answer and say, of course I know this. It's Jethro. But here, it says his name is Raul. Now, if you answered both of them, you would be correct. Often during this time, people will be known by several names. This might have been a name as his priestly name. It might have, and then once he's welcomed into the family, then he's known as Jethro. Many scholars love to point things like this out, and they scream, error, error. See, the word is fallible. Often I think just simple facts are often overlooked. Even for my life, I've mostly been called Thomas. However, there was a friend when I was growing up whose mother called me Tommy. A large group of people in, in high school knew me as Mass or know me as Mass. And some of you go by different names. Some, If I was to call you your real name, you'd give me a look. Say, only my mother calls me that and only when I'm in trouble. So it's not overlooking to be able to see there's two different names. But here, Raul hears about Moses, what Moses has done. And again, pointing out, Moses is known and, and looks like an Egyptian to these daughters. Maybe he looked like one, he sounded like one. But he still identified as a Hebrew with his people. You can see this glimmer of in the world, but not of the world. Uriel hears of this man who saved his daughter's life, and he asks him, why did you leave him there? Why didn't you bring him back to the house that we might be able to thank him, give him bread? And Moses is summoned. Moses is then content to be able to dwell with Raul. Now, this is not merely that he was content to be able to stay a couple of nights in an Airbnb, but to, to dwell with him means to be able to settle down. Mary, Moses marries Raul's daughter, Zipporah. They have two daughter, children while they're in Midian. However, we find out only one of their names in this passage, Exodus 2. Moses names him Gershom, which sounds like sojourner. Moses explains in Exodus, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now this is again interesting because we need to ask ourselves, does this speak of Egypt or Midian? I think like the name Jethro or Raul, the answer can be both. The author of Hebrews again explains that all these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they are strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And Moses would say that I am a sojourner not only in Egypt, not only in Midian, but across all the earth. I am seeking to go home to my homeland. I am seeking to go to be with my God. I may have been born a Hebrew, raised an Egyptian, now reside in Midian, but my passport is stamped heaven. I am a citizen of heaven. I am only a sojourner in this land. I am merely passing through. Again, he's able to look from afar and look at the treasures and not only Egypt, but the world and think, oh, I consider them far greater of what is found in Christ than these treasures here on earth. That he seeks to be able to live by faith, not by sight. He has no idea that chapter 3 is coming. 
He has no idea how God is going to fulfill his promises he spoke to Abraham to bring his children out of this hand of oppression of Pharaoh. And yet, he still says that I'm a sojourner. I'm not in my home. He never makes it to the promised land, but yet he still seeks that home which is found in heaven. This leads to the second son who's born in Midian. And we find out about him in Acts chapter 18, Eliezer. We find out what that means as he says, For God of my father was my help. He delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. The second son, Eliezer. Again, what we see is Moses' faith even in this time. He mentions the faith of his father. The God of his father was his help. Amran. The God is his help and his strength. You see this even in this time in his life where his life appears to be going downhill. Years earlier he was sitting in the palace of Pharaoh. Seeking you know, living one of the greatest lives. But now, he finds himself in a nomadic tribe, wandering in the wilderness. But yet, he sees that God's hand in his, is in all of it. He sees the Lord has saved him from the hand of Pharaoh. The God of his father, Amram, and his great-grandfathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has helped him. We see even before the people of God begin to cry out for God to help them, the Lord is helping them already. He's preparing for them a Savior to come, to redeem them, rescue them from the hand of that slavery, that hand of oppression that clings to them so closely. God is preparing a Savior and a mediator to be able to come and save His people. Now, we will see many shortfalls in Moses. That is why we always, as we're reading this, we're always looking forward to be able to look forward to that greater Savior found in Christ. That Christ would become a sojourner for us. Not because of his sin that he's driven out, not because of fear, but because of our sin. The Christ will come and He will help and save us from this punishment due our sins. That He is the perfect Savior, the perfect mediator. And all of this as we seek to be able to read through Exodus, we long for that to come. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise. That even as we read through a passage like Exodus 2, Lord, we, we see the failures of Moses and the longing for one who to, co- to come as a greater Moses. We thank you that we see the shadows of Christ in, the, in Moses being a savior and a me- as a mediator. But Lord, let us not merely look to Moses, a mere man who needs a savior and, and you to help him. But let us look to Christ.
the one who became a sojourner for us, the one who became our help in our ever-present time of, of trouble. Lord, let us see. Let us long to be able to see Christ in the shadows. As we long, as we look forward to, to be able to read about Christ in the New Testament, let us fix our eyes upon him. Let us look to, not to Moses to save us, but to Christ. Let us look to, not to Moses to be our mediator, but to Christ, the mediator between God and man, the one who came and shed his, his blood on the cross, that we might be saved, not from the slavery of Pharaoh, but the slavery of sin. Praying Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.